This is episode 117 of The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks. And to celebrate, let's do a podcast. Hello and welcome to The Film File. I'm Lee Ford. I'm still Andy Meakin. Well, that's good to know, Andy, because I would be quite disappointed if you weren't. <laughs> How has your week been? The last time we spoke, uh, it was Easter. Did you have a nice Easter? Did you get your share of Easter eggs and ate your body weight in chocolate? I know I did. I had one chocolate egg and that was it. Although nice. at work, we do... <laughs> you know there's been this thing about Kinder eggs getting recalled? Yeah. I've eaten a lot of Kinder eggs. <laughs> All right. Okay. And you're still fine. Uh, I'm still fine. Uh, I've collected the whole 16 of the animals that you get in Kinder Eggs at the moment. And I feel <laughs> like I've really achieved something there. Uh, but it's because we had a load of Easter egg, like Kinder Eggs, which we were going to give out to customers, like go around with a basket and give them out to kids. However, because of the recall yeah. thing, even though the ones that we had the date for were within a decent date, they weren't the ones that flagged up. Uh, we still didn't want to take the risk with members of the public. So no. staff got to help themselves if they wanted to. And so we, we were playing Russian roulette on Salmonella this week, over the Fantastic. past week. Fantastic. There's a game. <laughs> Kids, if you're ever stuck for a game, who's got Salmonella? And he'll post the rules uh, and you figure it out. Every day coming into work and like the first thing that you were saying to people is like, so have you been sick yet? Nope, nope. Right, I'm having another. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from that, over Easter weekend, I also went to Treehouse Cafe for the first time since lockdown one. Okay, um, I don't know that. Treehouse Cafe is the board gaming cafe that I used to frequent oh, every other week. Yes, I do know. I do know of that. We, um, as you know, we have a child. He's yeah. our child. He's not just a child that we've uh, <laughs> that we've you know picked up off the street and kept in uh, kept in a room just to go and clean the chimney. No, he, he's our child, and he's got heavily into uh, Pokemon and and some other card game. I know it's not Magic yeah. the Gathering; it's a Japanese one. Um, and we went to York over Easter. And we saw a gaming cafe and he just wanted to go in and, and take his cards in. So do they do that kind of thing at the gaming cafe you mentioned? Yes. It, they've got a wide range of games, card games, board games, uh, party games, etc. I mean, including things like uh, Blockbuster, which we, we, we both know very well. Yes. Uh, and it, it's literally you book it, book the table for up to four hours. Uh, they've got food, they've got drink, they've got table service, and you just help yourself to whatever games are on the shelves and play them. That's it. It's just a simple, relaxing atmosphere. Now, whilst I can play board games at home, and those who watch this on the video will often see the various board games behind me, that's not even a patch on my collection. There's something great about being in that environment again in the cafe, which is what we used to absolutely love. And we realized how much we missed it. It happened because uh, one of the ones who we used to go to regularly, who used to work for the cinema, she moved away during lockdown because they couldn't afford rent in Sheffield. So they went to move back with his parents. And it was just an excuse to catch up with her. And it was marvelous. And it just, all the memories came flooding back of what this means to us. So we're now trying to arrange it that every time that they've got a weekend off or they're just available for the Friday, we're going to book a table again and just keep going down. Okay. So if, if he found um, uh, several friends, we could just book a table and he could go and play Pokemon or go in and hopefully yeah. there might be other people who want to play Pokemon. They, they do. They do, they do those kind of singles nights where you can get just matched up with random people. But for card games, it's worth looking on their website because every now and then they'll do tournaments based around different things and then you can get involved with with like other people playing it. But you could just go down, book a table, take his own deck, 
find someone who also plays it and, and sit and play. But it's great to go down and just explore different board games. If you've ever had your eye, had an eye on a different board game and thought, eh, before I spend 50 odd pounds buying that, I want to know what it plays like. That's what I use it for. Well, you're my sounding board on that. I'm not a massive game <laughs> player, um, but you did recommend, and, and eternally grateful, you recommended Blockbuster and you recommended Rolling Stone. Uh, and yes. those have been, become two of our favorites. And then there was a game that we picked up once really cheaply in Tesco called Pass the Bomb. And it's one of our favorite mm. games. It's a word game. I absolutely <laughs> love it. It's not a particularly famous one, but it's it's one of our favorite yeah. games. Uh, when we do a game family night, that's that's the first one that comes out. So when I saw you last, uh, I hadn't watched the latest episode of Doctor Who. And I'm going to mention it because I have been a lifelong Doctor Who fan. I mean, my dad got me into it when I was very, very small. And I've grown up with Doctor Who. It's part of my life. Unlike any relationship you have over your life, you fall in and out of in and out of love. You know, there yeah. was the Colin Baker years. I, I'm, uh, there were dark days. Sylvester McCoy, not bad, but I never got on with Sylvester McCoy. Let down by production value. Yeah, the production value was, at that point was so cheap that, you know, they, they could have just shot it in their own house and it would have been a higher production value than, than what was on screen. And then, of course, the reboot and the majority of the reboot I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed every Doctor, even right up to now, I think. Yeah. Uh, Jodie Whittaker is fantastic, but the writing on the series is appalling. And the Sea Devils episode that was on last week was... I'm never going to use the term, that's it, I'm out. Yeah. Because I, I'm not that person. I, I believe that, you know, everything deserves a chance. And um, I'm not a that's it, I'm out. But I was nearly at that stage. And, and the reason I carried on watching was out of loyalty to, to the series. Uh, and and the, the boy was enjoying it. And for somebody who's, who's nine, yeah. they didn't see how rubbish it absolutely was but even he found it unmemorable um and it's it's so sad to see an institution that you've grown up with just solid in such a way with yeah. poor direction i mean it's just amateur direction on it uh, amateur writing these people yeah. are professionals and uh, uh it, it was just disgraceful it was only said because jodie whittaker is just so darn good on screen and is a fantastic yeah. doctor i just wish she'd had Decent scripts. Saying that as a caveat to that, I thought the Christmas episode was one of the best. Yeah, uh, the Dalek episode I thought was was absolutely awesome, uh, and I think it's been the, one of the best of the series. But boy, it's been it was poor. It feels to me that lockdown etc. ended up resulting in the running down of the Jodie Whittaker era as she's ready to depart has been shrunk down to just a couple of specials, and it feels to me that this Sea Devils episode would have been something that would have worked over multiple episodes in a yeah. whole season. And so the, it, it's what's now referred to as the Game of Thrones effect. The, the final run of it is condensing everything down to too rapid, and so it feels sloppy as a result. It's a shame. I mean, I've never been a huge fan of Sea Devils anyway. They've no. never been the major villains for me. And I, I, did, I did ponder why they would suddenly resurrect them as Jodie Whittaker's about to leave. But, yeah, I, I get what you're saying is that everything feels a bit ham-fisted and shoehorned in at the moment. It's like they're trying to they're trying to get elements in place so they can have an epic finale for Jodie Whittaker. But these are the things that should have been layered over the past few years. Absolutely. And saying that, the opposite was true of Peter Capaldi's run on uh, mm. uh, Doctor Who. His, his last final season was awesome. Yeah. Some of the best storytelling he'd had throughout the series. 
you know, I think Stephen Moffat was ready to go. I think it was time for him to go. But the last season he delivered in the last few episodes were, yeah. were, were pure great Doctor Who. And I thought after the, the, the Christmas special, the Easter special, which wasn't at all special, wasn't even an extended running time, if you notice. It was not much no. longer than a normal episode. Okay, I think they, got, they had COVID issues. And, and I've said that before, that you have seen it across. I saw it across Loki. I think it, it really yeah. affected Loki because it was just people talking in rooms. No more than two people at a time, if you think you remember the series. But no, I, for the first time ever, I, I almost went, I'm out, I'm done. But, but I won't be. But um, but yeah, very disappointing. And the other thing, that I'm not always disappointing. You're married. I'm, I, I, I don't know if I've announced it on air, but I'm a, I am getting married sometime maybe this year maybe next year but i'm being dragged to a wedding fair today <laughs> and, and oh. as we were just talking o- online nothing i say will be either right or wrong yeah i mean i was saying that like that this this is the case whenever and everyone who's got partners out there knows this is experienced perfectly you get dragged along just shopping you get dragged along to anything like this and you will get asked your opinion on everything and they don't want your opinion they just want you to justify what their own opinion is. And it, yes. it, it, you might as well just say, what do you want? You get it. But they don't want to go with that. They want to get you to say that they should go for it. But if you dare to say, actually, I don't like it, that's it. You're not talking for a month. Um, things are going to get broken. Your trousers and ties are going to get snipped to bits and ribbons <laughs> when you get home. You know, it's perilous ground. And us mm. guys really struggle with this kind of thing. We don't know what the answers are. So if anyone out there is listening and thinking, oh, yeah, I drag my partner out quite a lot. And um, he always seems to squirm at the answers and he doesn't seem to be committed to anything. This is why. Please tell us what you want. Email in. <laughs> what is the answer that we're supposed to give whenever you ask for our opinion? Because I've been married for over 20 years and I still don't know what answers I'm supposed <laughs> to give to these questions. If, if you can't help us with that, just send thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> it helps everything. Uh, question of the week. Question of the week. Yeah, I've been. I've, I've, I've several questions of the week, and I'm, I've been trying to slim it down to one that will work well as part of our Twitter challenge. Now, last week we asked about who would be your perfect choice to replace Daniel Craig as Bond, and I know, having looked on on our, our Twitter feed, we've had some really interesting interesting answers. I yeah. threw in Aidan Turner. Aidan yeah. Turner, you remember from Being Human went on to The Hobbit and uh, Paul Dark, and it's probably more popular for Paul Dark. However, my judgment on Aidan Turner, why he should be Bond, a couple of Christmases ago, they did an Agatha Christie adaptation of uh, uh, Ten Little Indians. And he played sort of a British hunter, a big game hunter. And he was all very aristocratic and, and a little bit posh, short hair, slick back. He was Bond. And at that point, Aidan Turner, charismatic, good on the eye, and could play aristocratic as well as streety. So Aidan Turner yeah. is my choice. But I know we've had some some great responses. Some of a couple of actors that I, I didn't recognise. Yeah. Nadine gave us the suggestion of Idris Elba or Henry Cavill as her top picks. Even if, as she said, Idris is probably too old now. I don't think he's I don't think he's past it. I, th- I think no, he could still like do 50, that charismatic action side of it. Dom Holder said that someone like John Boyega would be an interesting, interesting choice. Um, Sam Hewen or Jamie Dorman came from Stevie Dan 1969. Uh, yeah, I think I think Dorman could really get something out because he's kind of like got that presence on screen, but he's not huge. And Bond tends to cast people who aren't like A-list 
front and centres. It always casts from out the outskirts, and Dornan's probably a good shout on that one. Mm. I, I agree with you on Aidan Turner, because uh, we spoke about it when we did our Bond special, and we'd mentioned like ideas of people who could do it, and we both agreed on Aidan Turner then. Uh, Cell Stacker also agrees with Idris Elba. Suave, sophisticated, and a believable killer. Yep, I can see that. Yeah, see that. Imran set, told us Killian Murphy should be cast as the next James Bond, and if not, then Robert Pattinson. Christopher James, think he might have been joking with this one. Bill Roach. Who's Bill Roach? I know. Is he... The... <laughs> William Roach, actor from Coronation Streets. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, sorry. I was thinking when I saw that, and I'm not a Coronation Street fan, so I, I didn't get the, get the reference, but his son uh, played Thomas Wayne, in Batman Begins, and I thought that's who he was uh, he was referring to. Yeah, no, um, William Roach, uh, the the one who plays. Uh, okay, oh, Ken Barlow is it? Yeah, Ken Barlow. Yeah, okay, yeah, I did get the reference. I thought he was referring <laughs> to his son, but he then followed that up with saying it'll go with Dan Stevens. Apparently, he placed a bet about five years ago, and he'd be able to buy many trinkets with the winnings if he gets it. <laughs> uh, which, as we as I said last week, Stevens is one of my top picks. Christopher then goes on to also say that some people are dismissive of the idea. Yeah, he was top of your choice. Yep. Some people are dismissive of Stephen saying he's too weedy or whatever. But if you look at Daniel Craig and where he was in 0304, his audition was layer cake and Stevens has already had the guest. So he thinks he'd be great. And yeah. yep, he's, he's my choice. And uh, double boosted Mark Ramsey just posted a, a gif of Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that one. I saw that one. Um, that would be a left of centre choice. <laughs> I know you are, but what am I would be the title of his uh, first film. <laughs> so, yeah, some um, some great suggestions in there. Idris Elba seems to be the most common popular choice. I like Idris Elba. I think that he's, he's getting up to 50. Not that there's a problem with getting up to 50. But these films take three years, basically, a piece to, to be made and come out, if yeah. not a little bit longer in the case of uh, uh, recent Bond uh, exercises. So if we if um, you're interested in somebody uh, really left to centre, I've not been a fan of Bridgerton, but I know the actor because at one point he was muted as replacement in Black Panther. Yeah. And that's Reggie Jean Page, who is very suave. He's an actor of colour and could fit the James Bond label quite well, I think. And, uh, and I know, again, the ladies like him. So this week's Twitter challenge, and I've given it some thought because I, I, I had... Two or three, but I'm, I'm sort of stacking them up. And every time I came up with a new one, I thought, oh, that's exciting. I'll do it this week. <laughs> but what is your favourite decade for films? Is it the noughties, 90s, 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s? What era of film has had for you the, the classic movies? And name some of the movies that came out from that particular decade. Excellent. Uh, I'll have to think about that one myself. Like, while my heart immediately thinks the 80s, I then start to think the 90s was when I was coming into adulthood and that's when I started to really grasp onto loads of films. But me film culture side of it looks further back and I love the 70s era of films for how much how much different genres progressed. So I'm going to have to think about this one before I get back to you on that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. Yep. So I'll throw that one out as usual on t- Twitter sphere. So we'd love to hear all your answers back at us. And just a quick mention, if you've not engaged with Andy, on hashtag MTOS, then you really should. There are some always some very well thought out questions and some fantastic uh, responses from uh, from our Twitter followers. Yeah, always always good to share share opinions on things without without being nasty. Yeah, 
Yeah, we're a community. We're a family. A family of film geek. So, what's on the show this week? Well, in store for you, we have got a deep dive into Michael Bay's The Rock. Andy is going to be reviewing. Sticking with Nicolas Cage, the unbearable weight of massive talent that landed at cinemas this week. And I've also got a roundup of a couple of films that I've caught on streaming this week. Antlers and Paul Dude's Deadly Lunch Break. Yes, I've got a Sky original in there. (laughs) (laughs) And Andy as ever is doing the Lord's work. But before any of that, we've got the box office and we've got the news. In a segment which we'll always call because we can't think of anything else. The news. So before we get into the box office, I did notice that the Fantastic Beasts third part, well, it's not been a box office disappointment. It has been a disappointment in other ways in the fact that this is the lowest performing of all Fantastic Beasts films. Yeah, it's it's only just got its budget back um, now that it's gone past the the second week internationally and the first week in the US and it's looking like it's going to struggle to actually break even because as everyone knows that whatever the budget is for a film so if a budget's 200 million you need to multiply that by two and a half or three times in order to get to breaking even profit that's right so what's it done this week well in the US this weekend uh, the bad guys which we got in the UK almost a month ago now went straight in at the top spot at number one, with 24 million taking. That's not a bad opening for a pretty much under-the-radar animated offering. Into second place, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. 15.2 million added onto its total, taking its total domestic in the US to 145, just under 146 million so far. And worldwide, it's on 287 million, which means that Fantastic Beasts, after its first week, has already dropped into third place, taking only 14 million, which takes its US total so far to just over 67 million. And worldwide, it's on 280 million. It's not looking promising for the Potter franchise. The Northman opened relatively light with 12 million. And in fifth place, the unbearable weight of massive talent opened with 7.2 million. Here in the UK, as the Easter holidays came to a close, the family titles proved popular, which thrust Sonic the Hedgehog 2 back to the number one spot, gaining an additional 1.6 million for a total to date in the UK of 20.2 million. It's now the fourth highest grossing film of the year so far, overtaking its predecessor to become the second best performing video game adaptation of all time in the UK, right behind fellow 2022 release Uncharted. In second place is Fantastic Beasts Secrets of Dumbledore with 1.5 million. Holding in at number three is The Lost City, which took another 1.3 million for a total to date of 5.6 million. Fourth place is Operation Mincemeat and fifth place is The Bad Guys. The Northman, which opened last week in the UK, dropped down to sixth place and Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which we will be reviewing later in the show, opened in seventh place. Nicolas Cage not quite having the star power that he used to have of yesteryear to draw in audiences. So while the reviews have been withering and attendances at this stage look a little bit poor, do we think it's the end of this fantastic beast? I mean, I'm I'm sure they're contractually having to complete the series because they need J.K. Rowling to a degree. But as the world moved on, do we think? It's very possible. I mean, I know that Rowling said that it was it was going to be five films, but it's quite clear that it was never intended to be five films because it's less about Fantastic Beasts and just 
padding out backstory for the Potterverse for no reason at all. All that these Fantastic Beast films feel to me is it's just an, an ego piece for J.K. Rowling. Yeah. It's got the additional problems and complications with regards to one of the cast of these films, uh, who we'll talk about a bit later in the news. But yeah, I, I think that they might churn out one last one. They might write off some of the loss from this one, saying, you know, post-COVID, the re, re, bringing people back to cinemas, and also the escalating cost of production due to the COVID issues, and the next film will be made cheaper. And that's probably where they'll go. They'll cut the budget for the next film to give it one last try. I mean, after all, how many Transformers films do, did we get? And we're still going to be getting them. Yeah, true. Um, interestingly enough, it, it makes me think, I mean, it's, it's, and I can equate it to music, that you, you produce that great album and then the difficult second album syndrome. Yeah. And that must be the same for uh, J.K. Rowling. She's produced one of the most successful book series in history. But the majority of people, all they want is... Harry Potter. Yeah. So whatever you do will always be seen as a disappointing follow-up to Harry Potter, unless she eventually reforms the band, so to speak, and, and feels the need to write another Harry Potter book. It's just, just an interesting dilemma for anybody who's successful with uh, either a band, music, you know, record, etc., etc., going back and trying to to reproduce that lightning in a bottle. And, and But this always felt forced for me. I, I was out, yeah. and I said I'd never use that term, I was out with the first film. It just did nothing for me. Annoyed me more than anything else. It was just a series of set pieces rather than yeah. a, a narrative. At least this time, she's not doing the script on her own. Uh, they brought in one of the Harry Potter scribes to, to help out. So I don't know if that will be an improvement. Anyway, on to the news. Netflix have been getting a lot of bad press and negative buzz on social media this past Absolutely. week. They're being absolutely shredded. And it all comes in the wake of a few announcements that they've made. First up, in the UK, membership subscriptions are going up. Uh, now, remember a few months ago when the US ones went up and we all collectively didn't care? Well, now it's directly affecting us in the UK. It seems that everyone is in solidarity and hating it. Strange how we're, we're, all, <laughs> we're all banding together now that it's affecting us in Blighty. Yes, have you noticed that? We are very slow. You know, the French will be there burning cheap and uh, and having a dirty protest. And, um, but we are we are always like, well, I'll need a cup of tea before I, I think about what to do next. Uh, one of the key things that has been drawing some strongly worded comments about Netflix is the clamping down that they're going to be doing on password sharing. So you'll recall a few weeks ago, we spoke about they were doing a trial for clamping down on password sharing, whereby they would offer a subsidy addition to allow for more logins. Well, it seems that folk don't like being told that sharing is against the terms and conditions and feel that it should be fine for them to share their account with Danny, a guy they met in a bar once in Soho and set up their <laughs> Netflix for them when they were on the couch. How dare greedy corporations who've been running in the red for years build a solid framework for content actually want to make money? I mean, it sounds like I'm completely on the side of Netflix here. And, you know, I, I can see that I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm being no, deliberately playing devil's I, advocate. I, I don't think you are, Andy. I think, let's be truthful, you wouldn't do it with anything else. <laughs> that, that reminds me of the, the old VHS. I've heard, you wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't steal a <laughs> But it's it's always the creative industries that that suffer to a degree. Music's always the same. People have no don't see the worth of, of, of songs. And as a musician, I can put my songs out. And if I want to try and make any money out of it, it's very, very limited way that I can make money back on, on my material. And yeah. if people share it, I make absolutely nothing back on it. Except we still want high quality new music. We still want high quality programming every every week. We want that next season of 
Stranger Things, where I think each episode costs 30 million. Yeah. They don't advertise. They have to find their revenue from subscribers. Now, I I know they've taken a hit over the last last week. Um, they because of the war in Ukraine, they're saying that they've lost also was it two hundred million subscribers? Yep. yep. Let's not forget though they have billions worldwide of subscribers. Yeah. So two hundred million, which is a lot, doesn't necessarily mean that that they are going out of business. And in fact, they were doing quite well up until. Uh, uh, a couple of months ago. So I, I don't think Netflix are, are ready to be signed off yet. But like any other corporation, like any huge entity, you saw this with the iPhone. Yeah. You can only go so far with uh, new subscribers, as especially now that there's competition. So I, I think I think Netflix have, have got every right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't let anybody use your phone and make calls on it, <laughs> would you? Yeah, yeah, I'll share my phone with you. You can call your auntie in Australia at peak time. <laughs> You know, I, I don't need anything back to it. So I, I, I think they've got a point. Uh, and I, I think if it's damaging them, I think they, there has to be a way that it's done conservatively. I quite like their their proposed idea where it was going to be that if you if you are seen to be logging in for multiple IB addresses, which suggests that you've shared the account with other people, that they flag that up to you and say, if you pay an additional amount per month, we will allow those extra subscribers. So it basically allows, like, like, like I said before, my sister lives close by to me. We could probably get away with it because we're still on the Sheffield networks. But if I wanted my mum to watch something on Netflix, then I wouldn't be opposed to paying a small fee to enable her to officially be able to access my Netflix account and have her own profile on there. I have a similar deal at my gym. If I want to pay two or three quid extra, yep. I could take, I can take a guest. Yeah. And then that guest can chuck me two or three quid and, and we're all in. Now, the third thing that has caused discussion, and a lot of the negativity on this is because people unfortunately read headlines and don't actually read details. Uh, Netflix announced... That? I thought it was just I'm... me. I didn't realise yeah. it was a thing. Oh, it happens <laughs> far too often. Uh, Netflix announced a planned advert supported version. The headlines were like Netflix to introduce ads. So people read that and went, I'm going to cancel my Netflix if we're forced to pay ads. No one's going to be forced to watch ads. If you are paying for a full subscription, you won't get adverts. This is for a lower priced tier, a really cheap discount tier, if you don't mind watching a scattering of adverts to save money. In the same way that I am watching IMDb TV shows for free because I have ad breaks every now and then, I'm fine with that. I, I think it's a great option because it will allow during, like we're all approaching financial struggles. The escalating cost of living is going to impact us all. And this would be an ideal option. So you could still keep watching the shows and films that you love that Netflix have been delivering, but with adverts instead. So you don't actually stop subscribing to the service. You just drop yourself down to like £4 a month instead of the £15 per month. And you still have access to it. You just have to watch adverts. I think it's a great way to, exp- I mean, basically yeah. they've, they've invented TV. Netflix yes. <laughs> have just reinvented like cable TV because that's all that it is. It's just going to run like that. But you know what? I, I think I think this is the perfect way for them to go forwards with it. I think that a lot of the negativity towards Netflix is that a hot it is because they're so big now that people just see it as big corporate monster. But they're forgetting that they are making entertainment shows. They are making stuff. And as much as you can moan that some of the stuff that they churn out is garbage, we've all got our favorite shows that drop on there at the moment. I've got Better Call Saul, and boy. Um, I'm so glad that's back on Netflix. And that's the kind of reason that I love Netflix because yeah. in amongst the wealth of average material, 
there's the standout things that they support. I am in total agreement with you, Andy, because I think it's just down to this nature that, you know, it costs an awful lot of money to to produce films. So um, I do think the price hike is is steep. You know, it's gone up quite a lot. You can also change your subscription if you just want HD and you don't want the 4K option. And then I think it's I think it's £10 instead of £15. So yep. if, and, and if you've not got a 4K TV and you're paying an additional premium for 4K, then you can change your subscription and drop it down by a, a fiver just like that. Um, yep. I, I do think it's a bit of a, an odd way of doing it because if you think of Disney, think of Apple, everything that they put out is in 4K. But it, it, it's another option if you want to save cash. Yeah. Uh, there's also rumours that Netflix are going to move away from the binge model to weekly episode drops or split seasons as we're going to see with Stranger Things is yeah. going to be split into two chunks, uh, which is a, obviously net, like, it's a way for Netflix to keep subscribers on board. But for me, yeah, we've, we've discussed many times that we're moving, we're moving ourselves away from the binge idea and we yeah. love the idea of weekly drops. Disney have shown how well it works and they kept the buzz around all their Marvel shows week on week and they still do simply because it's a weekly drop. And yeah. Netflix have seen that and gone, this is why our things only have short attention. Maybe we need to do this. Yeah. So th- there's a lot happening with Netflix, but sticking with Netflix, the film Bright, which saw a very lackluster response, but I kind of enjoyed. Yeah, me too. I got quite a soft spot for it. Well, the longer awaited sequel that has been in gestation has now been cancelled. And this is all thanks to Will Slappy Smith. <laughs> uh, David Ayer left the project a while back, but Louis Leterrier was on board to re-team, with, re-team Smith and Edgerton in the fantasy futuristic mashup. But as another fallout from everything that happened around that Oscars, this was one of the key projects that Smith was attached to, and they feel that without Smith's name attached, no one's going to be interested. Okay, let, let's, uh, let's address this in a couple of ways. I don't think if there wasn't a bright sequel, the world would feel as though they're, they're missing it. It's not like you were waiting for, no. with bated breath, for a bright sequel. I think Will Smith will overcome this. I just think everything's fresh right now and things are going to drop out and drop in as we go through. Louis Leterrier, strangely enough, we're friends on Facebook. I don't know how we are, but we are. Uh, we ended up being friends on Facebook. I've never communicated with a man. I, th- I know we've got <laughs> common ground. I think that's it, but we are friends. Yeah. Uh, he's a good director, and I don't think that's a problem. If they really wanted to, they could do something different with Bright 2 that doesn't need Will Smith if they were really, really happy with that as an ongoing Netflix franchise. But clearly, it doesn't mean that much to them. So they would have done a recast or or done something new with with the characters and and just done something within that world. So I think there's there's more than one factor other than than Will Smith. Also, with with regards to Will Smith, National Geographic had a series called Pole to Pole, which was due to start production in a few weeks' time. Smith would have been visiting the North and South Poles. That's now been put on a tentative hold. It's not been cancelled. Smith's not been dropped as of this point, but it's been put on a tentative hold until the latter half of the year while they evaluate how they want to progress with it. it it's looking likely that they'll keep Smith involved, but they're waiting for the dust to settle. Yeah, that's all it is. I mean... You know, one day Kevin Spacey will be back. <laughs> it, 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 it will happen. I, I, I believe he's already made a movie. You get thrown into jail and yeah. you, you, you make your way out again. By comparison to Kevin Spacey, for instance, it's, it's a different, different story completely. And I think the public are 
kind of either way on on, on what he did. Uh, yeah. I think there is the support, and there are those who who who, who don't support him. So I, I think there's a you know I think I think the public will eventually just move on from it, and Will Smith will come back, and that's that. Uh, Zack Snyder's Battle Beyond the Stars for Netflix. I mean, uh, Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon for Netflix has actually started production now. <laughs> it's not going to get old, that, is it? It's, it's never going to get old. The director released a tweet with some photos confirming that it's very much happening. Uh, as we know, pretty much everyone who's not involved in Nice Out 2 is in this film. Sophia Boutea, Ray Fisher, Jaiman Hounsou, Charlie Hunnam, Rupert Friends, Duna Bay, uh, Corey Stoll, Michael Hoosman, Alfonso Herrera, and Carrie Ellis in a film which is allegedly based on Star Wars, but it's not. It's Battle Beyond the Stars. <laughs> The story tells of a peaceful colony on the galaxy's edge threatened by a tyrannical regent. The desperate colonists dispatch a young woman with a mysterious past to seek out warriors from a neighbouring planet to help them make a stand. It's Battle Beyond the Stars. Snyder co-wrote the script by taking the script from Battle Beyond the Stars and changing some stuff with crayons and (laughs) is aiming to launch a new franchise out of this. (laughs) Folks, these are just our thoughts. It it doesn't reflect on the general populace. They're just our thoughts. (laughs) But it it is Battle Beyond the Stars. It is. And uh, that's not a bad thing. We like Battle Beyond the Stars. Let's do it as a deep dive in a few weeks. Yeah, we should. I've got a couple of ideas for deep dives I'll talk to you about later. Fantastic. I've got a huge list of films, so I think we're stocked for the year. So this is going to be great. And also, Netflix again. After nearly a year's hiatus, Netflix is getting back up and running on production of the of Green Room director Jeremy Solnier's action thriller Rebel Ridge, with shooting set to begin this week. Uh, the project came to a halt back in June last year with an unexpected and abrupt departure of John Boyega midway through the film shoot. Boyega was citing family reasons as the reason why he couldn't continue. And it's not a big budget feature. It wasn't a small one either, and it's faced multiple financial and logistical issues to solve before it could get back underway and tell its story of systemic American injustice. Uh, Underground Railroad and Krypton star Aaron Pierre is taking over from Boyega, and original cast members Anna Sophia Robb, Emery Cohen, Don Johnson, Zane Jay, and James Cromwell are still on board. I've got a little bit of news. It's, it's not film-related, but there is a link, uh, and that's the return of the kids in the hall. Now, not everyone out there has a clue what kids in the hall was. And I can't remember whether it was in the early days of Sky or it was Channel 4 and kids in the hall was a Canadian uh, comedy Ooh. troupe. Very edgy, sometimes disturbing, closer to, let's say, Python than Saturday Night Live with one, one of the most disturbing characters I've ever seen on screen called the Chicken Lady. Anyway, if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, also the term... I crush his head. I crush his I crush head. head. Was, uh, was crush your head. Crush um, It was, do you remember it? My, my head is being crushed. I'm crushing my own head. Oh, I'm glad somebody else remembers it. <laughs> so, uh, a, a fantastic series. Anyway, it's making a return. I hope it, 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 I mean, <laughs> these guys have got on a bit now. It's sort of 20 years later, but it was, it was uh, alternative comedy at its very best. And uh, uh, the guys did make a movie called uh, Brain Candy, which is very odd. Very funny and slightly disturbing again, uh, but good to hear that the kids in the hall are returning. I hope it, it's it's not one of those where it's just a vanity project just to come back and do it all again, but they yeah. bring something new. Back to the comedy world. Uh, Doctor Strange 2 has been banned from release in Saudi Arabia and several other yeah, countries. Yeah, I was going to mention that. This is because of the inclusion of the character of America Chavez who's presented in the film as gay, directly drawing from the character in the comics. Changes had been requested, but Disney refused them. 
and uh, keeping the film intact, which this amuses me because there's a few people on Twitter who say that Disney pander to everyone and like, oh, they, they pull things you, out Disney. and all that. But Disney haven't censored anything. Disney refused to censor stuff. They're keeping the director's decisions and the creator's visions within there. Uh, film, as we know anyway, films released in the Middle East regions are very often cut for sex scenes, homosexuality and religious issues. Eternals and West Side Story saw similar bans after refusing changes. So it doesn't really come as a huge surprise that Doctor Strange 2 is in the same boat. Uh, and also on the subject of Doctor Strange, do you remember the 1978 TV movie? I, I do, yeah. Um, I'm going to give you some, some, some facts about it. It starred Peter Hooten as Stephen yes. Strange. It had Sir John Mills in it as basically Merlin. Um, and I can't remember her name. The actress. Jessica Walter. Jessica Walters uh, as Morgan Le Fay. And it got shown once on British television at sort of 11 o'clock at night. I was very young and I stayed up to watch it. And I thought it was great because it was the um, first time you could see a Marvel character on screen. One of those early days of TV movies. Uh, looking back now, it's probably not very good. Well, we'll get to find out because Shout Factory are bringing a restored HD version to market this week. Really? This this pilot movie that never spawned a series is going to be available to buy. And I feel that I really want to explore it because I've got that same fondness from my memory of watching it. Same way that I've got fond memories of the Nick Fury Agents of Shields movie that had David Hasselhoff in, which it when I revisited bad. it, it didn't live up to it. it <laughs> oh, didn't it? Okay. No. I mean, it, I still I, remember Nicholas Hammond as Peter Parker and oh, having yeah. it came out as a cinema release and I watched it four times because I, <laughs> I just didn't leave the cinema as you didn't have to back then. Uh, and that didn't hold up well. What still holds up really well, and I'm not going to even look at the Captain America with Rep Brown because I'm not <laughs> ever. But what does hold up is the first Incredible Hulk movie with Bill Bixby. Yeah. That is still a great piece of TV. And for a lot of people, we saw Marvel do it with the Ed Norton film. It embedded the idea of what Bruce Banner was like. And uh, um, yeah. it, it's it's great. Out of all of those Marvel pilots, that's the one, folks, if you want to go back and uh, and do a bit of Marvel history, that's the one you need, need to look at. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has been delayed. It's moved from October the 7th to June the 2nd, 2023. At the same time, it's it's also lost part one from the title. Uh, the oh. second part is still planned for release for March the 29th, 2024 now. So it suggests that they're going to retitle that third part. So it's not going to feel like a part one and part two, but they are not going to be linked together. They're just going to have different... different I titles. endorse that message. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. On the flip side, Sony have set September the 1st, 2023 release date for the third Equalizer film from Antoine Fouquier and Denzel Washington. I'm all there didn't for a third them. outing. Certainly yeah, didn't mind the same. Perfectly possible. Yeah. And Madam Web has set a date of July the 7th, 2023, which means that it'll follow in the wake of Craven in January. And interestingly, nobody cares. Yeah, if Craven completely crashes, I can see Madam Web dropping straight onto streaming. On the, also on streaming, fans of Jackass, and there are a few of us, there are a few of us who are still around, can get ready for the 4.5 edition of the latest film. The last two films had 0.5 releases, which had a barrage of cut moments and stunts from the second and third film. And this new 0.5 will have over 40 minutes of new footage, as well as extended scenes from Jackass Forever um, alongside it. It will also be a Netflix exclusive. 
Ah, right. Um, a couple of trailer drops this week. Um, the trailer for uh, Lightyear, the second trailer, has landed. Oh. Is it me or is it Interstellar? An animated it's Interstellar. Interstellar. <laughs> Looks great. And, of course, <laughs> the biggie drop this week was Thor, Love and Thunder. Yeah. A bit of Guns N' Roses music in the background. That's all Did that you I take it in in all its glory? Oh, I've, I've watched it multiple times. It looks great. Absolutely. Uh, it was it been well crazy. worth the wait. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice little tease, and there's loads of little nuggets in there for fans of the comic to look at and uh, draw upon. Yeah. Can't wait for the full trailer to show us a bit more story aspect, as, which is going on. Uh, Joe Manganiello has joined Sam Jackson and Uma Thurman for the darkly comedic thriller The Kill Room. Uh, the story charts a hitman, Manganiello, uh, his boss, Jackson, and an art dealer, Thurman, whose money laundering scheme accidentally turns the hitman into an overnight avant-garde sensation and forces the dealer to play the art world against the underworld. It's being directed by Nicole Payone from a script from Jonathan Jacobson and filming is beginning this spring in New Jersey and New York. Um, okay. Ezra Miller. Can we talk about Ezra Miller again? Yeah, I was wondering whether we... I couldn't remember if we did this last week, um, but there's a person who... Well, we did, but there's intent. been more news since... Yeah, <laughs> I, I couldn't remember what we'd mentioned. Yeah, so it's less than four weeks since last arrest, being arrested again in Hawaii for second-degree assault. Um, according to IndieWire, authorities responded to reports of an assault in Pahoa, Hawaii, at a private residence. Miller had reportedly become irate after being asked to leave and allegedly threw a chair, which struck a 26-year-old woman in the forehead, resulting in approximately half-inch-sized cut. The actor was arrested around 1.30am when they were located on the highway during a traffic stop. They were released at 4.05am after conferring with the prosecution office pending further investigation. I mean, really self-destructing. Now, we talked about this in depth. However, what we did talk about was, was Warner's having to come up with some sort of decision of how they're going to promote The Flash and when they're going to promote The Flash. This is a major headache for any studio. Look what happened with Army Hammer. Yeah. Even on the posters for Death on the Nile, they managed to sort of blur him out or lose him altogether. And okay, I think Army Hammer was a, a, a one of many other players in the film. So his name wasn't selling that particular project. But, you know, he's he's been kind of eradicated from from Hollywood. Something's gonna gonna give with Ezra Miller and the Flash is the Flash is, is is a big deal for his career as is Fantastic Beasts. So Warner's must be having some very very desperate conversations right now. Do they let the uh, uh, let the dust settle and hopefully by the time the Flash movie comes out, Ezra's got the help that he needs, or is this a major issue because all the press will talk about Ezra Miller's uh, problematic personal life right now? Yeah, it must be a nightmare for Warners at the moment, because with Miller's actions offset and also the ongoing trial between Depp and Amber Heard, there's a lot of damage control that they have to work out. Heard, as you know, is in Aquaman 2, which is another film that got shunted to next year. And it's no surprise that they shunted both Aquaman 2 and The Flash to next year yep. because they really have a problem now in the DC Warners stable in how you promote films with so much problem, heavy in the public conscious around yeah. them. The, they, this, is, this is more in the public conscious than the Will Smith incident. Yeah, it's all over the news. Every day there's updates yeah, on the yeah, Hair, to Depp trial. And, and every three days, Ezra Miller gets mentioned. So it's really got to be a nightmare for DC at the moment. 
I feel sorry for whoever's got that job. I know. And, and listen, if uh, you think we're being kind of, oh, we're being a bit pro-Marvel and talking about DC and DC actors. Hey, this is not just about DC actors. This is about people's no. lives. If it was Robert Downey Jr. had uh, fallen off the wagon again before the Avengers, there would have yeah. been these conversations happening at Marvel, yeah. kind of pre-Disney at this particular stage. This is just it's very, it has a tendency to overshadow the marketing of the film. Whatever the outcome is on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard situation, I think it's easier for Johnny Depp to walk away from it because he's already yeah. he's already taken some of the impact of it than it will be for Amber Heard. And at the moment, we've only seen one part of this trial. She's the one that is not looking favorable in the public eye. And there was also, DC were also discussing the fact that she didn't have much chemistry in the first Aquaman movie. So could be a last minute bit of recasting. This isn't a Marvel fans like hating on things DC because God, as, no. I mean, you don't, you don't agree with me on this, but Aquaman was a blast for me. It's mm. a five out of five entertainment film. I loved it, and I've been looking forward to Aquaman 2. I'm looking more forward to Aquaman 2 than the uh, than I, I because I didn't really enjoy the first ones. I'm hoping yeah. now they've got all the origin story and Zack Snyderness out of the way that it can be its own thing a little bit more. But the Flash, I know you were about to say that before I rudely yeah. threw myself in. And the Flash, I'm really looking forward to. Really, yeah. really looking forward to everything that Miller brought to the role in the film that I didn't particularly like. Zack Snyder's re-edit of the Justice League. And I'm only going to call it the re-edit of the Justice League every time that I mention it, because that's all that it is. It's a re-edit. Um, he represented the character that I love from the comics, and I do love the character of the Flash from the comics. So I was so stoked for this film. So it's a shame that two of my most anticip hotly anticipated DC outings are now kind of in danger. Mm. Well, I mean, then will appear. It's now a case of when, and it's... Yep the kind of the court of public opinion at the moment. If, if Amber Heard doesn't come out of this unscathed, then we're okay. But if the way that it's looking at the moment, that it, it, it's damaging, and I think, I think it's going to be damaging for both careers ultimately in some way, but I think Amber Heard has got a lot more to lose than, than, than Johnny Depp. And if she walks away with it, fine. It will still have an impact on how they market the film because I think, I think public opinion... Yeah. So sort of drifted away from it. But we'll, we'll just wait and see. It's all we can do, folks. Wait and see. Let's finish off the news with a bit of news of a Western. A Western? RLJE Films has acquired North American rights to Richard Gray's Western film, Murder at Yellowstone City, with plans to release it in theatres and on demand on June the 24th. Well, that sounds kind of fun. The story follows former slave arriving in Yellowstone City, Montana, a desolate former boom town now on the decline, looking for a place to call home. On that same day, a local prospector discovers gold and is murdered. And the names involved, these names, are what make me excited to see this film. Gabriel Byrne, Thomas Jane, Isaiah Mustafa, Richard Dreyfus, Nat Wolfe, Anna Camp, Amy Garcia, Scotty Thompson, and Zach McGowan. And the, it's a Western. It's got yep, those names in. in it. I'm in. Don't know what the UK release is going to be, what UK distribution, but if it's getting a June the 24th release in the US on streaming and in like, etc., Hopefully it doesn't get tagged with a Sky original because that'll put me all off. <laughs> <laughs> um, and guys, that's it for the news. Still with us, still enjoying the show. Yes, you're listening to The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks. And if you've not subscribed to this particular podcast, then we ask you to please do so. 
because without your subscriptions, we can't do as much as we want to do. And we really have a lot of plans that we'd like to put into action. So if you're not a subscriber, head over to your favorite podcast platform, hit the subscription button, and remember to leave a like. And hey, leave a review too. And get in touch with us. You can do so over multiple. It's almost like a multiverse of ways that you can contact us. You can contact us on Twitter by following at Filmfile UK. You can look at for us on other social media platforms. Filmfile UK is all that you need to look for and it'll pop up here, there and everywhere in my because I set up all these social media platforms when I'm bored. I just like set them up and don't do anything with them and occasionally remember that it's there. Um, or <laughs> you can email us. You can email us with thoughts, suggestions, films you like, top 10 lists, top five lists if you can't think of 10, top one list if you can't think one past one film. Whatever you want to email us about, anything film, entertainment, anything that you want to email us for, get in touch. And you can do that by emailing podcast at filmfile.uk. Now it's time for our deep dive in which Andy and I will take a look, a close inspection on films that we either enjoyed we think are worth talking about or worth re-examining. Sometimes we like them, sometimes we don't. That's part of the deep dive. And I think this week, I'm pretty certain that we are both going to be in total agreement because this week's film stars Nicolas Cage, directed by Michael Bay. And you're gonna go, these guys are really liking a Michael Bay film. Yes, because it is 1996's action thriller, The Rock. Alcatraz, The Rock. You refuse payment, I launch the gas. There are two ways to experience it. Take a tour. Tour's over, Bob. Or take an army. Welcome to The Rock. You've got a 60-year-old convict and a lab rat. How do you like your choices? I don't. Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, Ed Harris. Fire. On June 7th. Oh! You enjoying this? Get ready ah! to rock. What kind of toy is this? Rated R. From Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, the film star Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, the great Ed Harris, William Forsyth and Michael Bean. And the story is that the Pentagon assigns a team compromising of an FBI chemist and a former SAS captain who was imprisoned and managed to escape from Alcatraz. The team of SEALs break into Alcatraz prison where a rogue general and a rogue group of Marines have kidnapped the tourists on the island and are threatening to launch a rocket filled with a deadly nerve cast upon San Francisco unless the US government pays $100 million to the next of kin of 83 men who were killed on missions that the general led and that the Pentagon has denied. The film was dedicated to co-producer Don Simpson who sadly passed away before the release of the movies. This has everything that is a bombastic, 80s 90s action thriller that you would expect from simpson and Bruckheimer. what makes it stand head and shoulders above the rest is the fantastic on-screen chemistry between sean connery and nicholas cage the fact that it was michael bay's breakthrough film after bad boys but showed that he could handle big stars and big big set pieces with a style well a style that at that point even though it looked great, it was a little bit more restrained than the style he has now. It's entertaining, it's thrilling, it's funny, and I'll talk about the reasons why I think it's funny, mm -hmm. and it's a darn good ride. I have seen this countless times, and I never get bored with it. By far the best Michael Bay film there has ever been. 
one of the best roles for Nicolas Cage, and he and Connery are just perfect. Andy, please don't tell me you dislike this film, because I may cry a lot myself in a cell. <laughs> well, when this film came out hot on the heels of the previous year's Bad Boys, it was a must-see for me and my mates on the screen. We loved Bad Boys, and so we wanted to see anything that came from the same director. Bay had shown a style and skill on his first outing, which generated pure popcorn entertainment in a lavish manner fitting of the big screen. Thankfully, this second outing, he not only refined his style, but in my opinion, he peaked. He peaked very early. I agree. It's a film that I loved on release. I bought on VHS as soon as it came out. I picked it up on DVD. I've not bought it on Blu-ray yet because A, I feel soiled just contemplating buying anything from Bay. And B, it's frequently available on streaming services, so I've never had trouble tracking it down for a revisit. And boy, do I like to revisit this film. All the base tropes are within. You can see the start of all his trope nature uh, that his films followed. You've got a San Francisco tram that blows up. They run on electric. Not exactly sure what was blowing up there, but hey, fireball explosions, Michael Bay. But the tropes aren't overdone like they are in his latter career. And the film is very surprisingly character-led, even if some of those characters are archetypes. Connery plays aging SAS Captain John Mason as an older, grizzled, maybe he's a Bond character, maybe not, and he's clearly having fun with the part. Cage is at the peak of his 90s output and is engaging as Stanley Goodspeed, the FBI chemist who's so out of his depth. But my hat goes off to Ed Harris. Ed Harris owns this film as General Francis Hummel, a villain only by necessity, who feels less of a template character and something more working in the grey areas and more rounded. Kudos to writers Weisberg and Cook for granting the film a villain with a backstory which has an understandable motive to be in the position that they are in. A character with noble ideals but insane means to get to them always makes for an interesting villain. And Ed Harris eats up every moment and delivers perfection. I, I totally agree with that. And I think this is one of the reasons that the film stands out is his motivation and the fact that he's played by Ed Harris. So you've got that empathy with the character because he's so darn good in this. It is purely, purely uh, can be validated because he doesn't intend ever to really go through with it. It's there to cause attention. It's those around him who sort of push him into, uh, into an area that, that he doesn't want to go I mean, hey, spoilers, this film has been out, yeah, over two and a half decades. So come on, uh, I'm, I'm not talking territory that you may not have heard of. But it's a really good spin and, and Ed Harris in every scene he's in gives that gravitas that you need when you've got somebody like Sean Connery who just oozes charisma. Uh, there's, there's a much used fan theory that this is in fact Bond uh, who's been imprisoned from the 1960s. Now that it's kind of fun, but I, I, I don't buy it. As you said, this was this was kind of Nick Cage when he was a full leading man uh, blockbuster role and does it effortlessly. He's, he's, he's an enjoyable fish-out-of-water character who's learning on the job and his rapport with Connery is great. You mentioned uh, the writers on this and there's a there were some problems with this one. It was a spec script written by David Weisberg and Douglas Cook, and that's how the film got picked up. Jonathan Hensley jumped in. There were numerous other writers, but it was really Jonathan Hensley that, that pushed the the script into being as polished as it did. And also, because I, I've got to mention him, at Connery's request, he brought in Dick Clemens and Ian Lafrenet 
uh, two British writers who are best known for creating two of my all-time favourite comedy sitcoms, Porridge and Whatever Happened to the Likely Lads, to help Connery with some of the humour, sharpen up some of the dialogue. So when you get little bits like talking about the Beatles or you get some of the, the quips that just feel really spot on, I'm pretty sure it's those guys because what they do know yeah. is comedy dialogue writing. Um, I, I, I just adore it. At one point, Michael Bay, um, the, the studio were panicking. Uh, Connery stood up for him because he was pleased with the way that the film was going. This is lightning in a bottle movie. It's because everything worked so well. Didn't Connery just kind of muscle himself into a meeting that That's Bay right. had been called to with the executives? He was, pa- he was going golfing and he passed Bay in the corridor. And just says, where are you off to? It's like, oh, I've got a meeting with the execs. He went, oh, I'll come along. And it, it, put, it put the executives on the back heel because not only did they have a relatively fresh director that they thought they could strip down, but they had a legend of the screen backing him up. And yeah. it was great. So, I mean, this was, I mean, you hear all the reports of like Connery in the, yeah, particularly in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, who was apparently like throwing his weight around on set and being like, created tensions and animosities but he gelled with bay and he got what bay was doing and he wanted to help him make the best film that he could and like you say the humor that was added wasn't in the screenplay the screenplay was more serious in tone so a lot of it was improvised on set as a result of connery getting ghost writers in apparently aaron sorkin was an uncredited writer on the shooting script as well okay didn't know that again makes sense you can hear that in ed harris's uh dialogue i think that's where he it, it, if anything potentially is a, a signpost to Sorkin, then that's why I would say it is. And even Nicolas Cage ad-lib, ad-libbed most of his lines, and it was his choice to have his character never swear. Um, so he's got his own little, like, childish swearers, swears rather than actual saying F-words, etc. Which, yeah, it shows that everyone was involved in the creative process, which is probably why it works. Yeah. It's it's a it's a fantastic movie. This is exactly what a good summer blockbuster action film is. There's enough of a plot to keep you intrigued. There's a reasoning behind what the villains are doing, which is which is engaging and takes them above the level of usual terrorists holding people uh, captive in one location. Of course, you've got Connery, you've got um, Nicolas Cage at his best, honestly at his best. To think at one point that Schwarzenegger was in the role for, for good speed, I just can't see it. Apparently, he didn't like the script. There is so much to like. This is a first-rate, slam-bang action movie that has a lot of style and, for me, some great humour. Yes, it's improbable, but who cares when you're having this much fun? Because this is Michael Bay when he was just slick and stylish rather than the sort of cartoon director that he's become subsequently. Cool 75 million this film cost. And much of it was shot on location at Alcatraz, which keeps the authenticity. And it took 335 million worldwide. Yes, there's gaping plot contrivances, holes so big you could lose your house in them. But it flows and it feels tightly paced. It's 136 minutes long, but it feels tightly paced. And it still holds up well. It holds up a lot better than Bad Boys does. That's a film that I went back to about a year and a half ago, but feels very of its time. Whereas The Rock doesn't feel of its time. It feels relevant today. You have mentioned the core cast, but let's just quickly skip through You know the fact that David Morse, Michael Biehn, uh, John C. McGinley, Tony Todd, Claire Falani, William Forsyth. There's some great names in this yeah. film and all of them give solid performances. And this is coming from a director 
who in latter years is so focused on action that he it's the the characters fall to the wayside yeah. and it's to the detriment of the the cast that are involved the rock is an early example of what he could actually do the only negative that i can draw from the whole thing is that the success of the rock paved the way for bay to get bigger budgets i mean he got double the budgets for his next film such as armageddon which resulted in becoming more the effects and explosions driven director that he's know of today and i think that it's a shame because i think that if he if he had continued with the lower budget approaches to action films he could have been the best action director of our time and and i know in recent years he's tried to pull back and say you know ambulance is supposed to be a return to the lower budget kind of filmmaking and he said the same with pain and gain but neither of them quite are that because he's now become so immersed in his own tropes that even when he does a low budget one he has to have his tropes in and it's a shame this is one of the things that frustrates me about bay is that you could see his potential with his early career and then it all fell by the wayside. It's the, it's the kind of, you know, when you get that big, no one's going to tell you to stop. And and clearly, clearly he, he's making money. And that's all that that, that matters in, uh, yeah. in with these kind of movies. And when you get that successful, you know, you, you start not to care, uh, which is a shame because this is in many ways, well, in every ways, it's his best film that he's ever done. And it is almost a pitch perfect action thriller in the way that you think, they don't make them like that anymore because when you've not got Sean Connery in the role, no, they don't make them like that anymore. If you've not checked out The Rock, you must do so immediately. And you can do that by... It's on Disney Plus um, in the UK because it's part of the um, stars package. So just get on there, get it watched in HD and enjoy the heck out of it. If you haven't got Disney Plus, you can rent it from all rental services, uh, streaming services, or you can just buy yourself the Blu-ray. I will promise to buy the Blu-ray one day. Yeah, me it too. It's always the whole, on the list. It's always It is the, the whole list. thing of like, oh, I'm buying a Michael Bay thing. But it is the one Michael Bay film that stands above everything else. It's essential watching for anyone who loves action films. Get it watched. Absolutely. We'll be back again with another deep dive next week. But now it's time for this week's reviews. One of the films that you're going to be talking about, as we've talked about, Nick Cage in The Rock is the new Nick Cage film. And, and again, one of those, because of circumstances, I've not had a chance to see it. And so I am very jealous that you've you've had a chance to see it, but also thankful because you get to review it on the show. Please tell me you like it because I'm looking forward to this. Massive talent. He's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's so good. Hoo-ha! It's relentlessly funny. I love you. I love you. A crowd-pleasing triumph. We're back. Not that we went anywhere. The first must-see comedy of the year. Hit the brakes. Don't worry, he's totally passed out. Nicholas Cage. Excellent. Pedro Pascal. I'm honestly speechless. Neil Patrick Harris. I got a good feeling. And Tiffany Haddish. Oh my God, you're so awesome. Massive Talent, only in theaters this weekend. So the unbearable weight of massive talent. Nick Cage is at a low point in his career, simply jobbing for any role. He's feeling unfulfilled with the parts he gets and finds himself rejected from the parts he really wants. With financial ruin ahead, he finds himself forced to accept an offer to attend a wealthy fan's birthday party for a quick $1 million. However, the fan, Xavi, played by Pedro Pascal, turns out to be linked to arms dealing and political scandal and kidnapping, which CIA agents Vivian and Martin, Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz, rope Cage into helping investigate. Now, when this film was announced, even on the sketchy outline at the time of Cage playing a version of himself, who talks to a 90s era version of himself, 
The meta aspect had me on board. I expected a slice of jokey meta fun as Cage pokes fun at his public persona, and we all have a jolly good laugh. What I didn't expect was for it to also be a solid action outing, akin to those early Cage roles, and to have so much depth and heart to it at the same time. This is a film that is so much more than just Nicolas Cage plays himself. This is a sharp, funny, and creative action comedy that uses Cage's eccentricities to great effect. His occasional interactions with Nicky Cage, the younger version of himself, are included well and show how his style has changed over the years, but how he's always been fundamentally Nick Cage. In addition, the de-aging technology on these scenes works a charm, albeit with one or two moments of Uncanny Valley. But this is as much Pedro Pascal's film as it is Cage's. As the billionaire who hires the actor, he's nervous to be around his idol. And as the pair bonds, there's a genuine warmth that starts to enter the film, which is hard to not like and be charmed by. Even when Javi is said to be linked into evil atrocities, it's so impossible to not care for him because Pascal just oozes charm. As the pair morph into a rather unlikely double act and the film speeds towards the epic climax, it's the budding friendship between the two that ensures that you, the audience, care about this. It's 107 minutes of pure fun, and it's a film that is so much more than typical Cage, whilst also being exactly the kind of film Cage would do at the same time. Fans of the actor past and present will certainly find something to love here, whilst non-fans can just be entertained by a solid action comedy. I think Pedro Pascal hasn't had yet the opportunity to really shine, and it sounds like from, from what you've said that this is the film that's, that's going to do it for him. I mean, yes, he's good in The Mandalorian. He was okay in, in Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, we know he's got talent, but, you know, with The Last of Us coming up, which really throws him into leading man territory, I think this is the, the film, by what you've said, which is going to shine the spotlight on him for now. Okay, yeah. what else do we have? Am I going to be afraid? Am I going to be happy? Or am I going to be bored to tears? by? Well, next film is Antlers. Now, this is one that I missed at the cinema when it came out. Yeah, well, didn't this come out sort of during the COVID years and it sort of got lost a little bit and I don't think it got a full yeah. distribution? Because I know you and I have been talking about this for a long, long time. The trailers I remember looking at back in either 2018 or 2019 with much anticipation. This this is my kind of a horror film. Where's it playing? Because I've not seen it in the cinemas. So where did you catch it? It's on Sky Movies at the moment. And is it worth it? Is it worth me checking into Sky Movies this week? Can anyone give me an example of a myth? Or a story they're afraid of? Daddy? Antlers is directed by Scott Cooper and produced by Guillermo del Toro. And it's a tad generic, but presented in such a polished manner that it allows it to get away with it. In a small town, a school teacher suspects a young boy has home issues, potentially abusive, and begins to investigate, opening up personal wounds for herself at the same time. However, the issues turn out to be something more than she could imagine, as she finds a dangerous entity is residing at the boy's house. Drawn from the short story The Quiet Boy by Nick Antosca, the film pulls from tales of the Wendigo, an evil spirit that possesses humans and gives them insatiable hunger, leading to murder and cannibalism. Using this basis, the story plays out pretty much as you'd expect, 
We've seen similar stories told so many times previously. But in the hands of Cooper, it's given a somber and dark approach. And what we get is something that feels stronger than the goofy idea that it could have been. And it certainly delivers on blood and gore with enough shocks for the jaded horror fan and a creature design that is initially teased before being chillingly presented in full glory. The cast are all adequate, playing the very melancholy characters they inhabit. Kerry Russell and Jesse Plemons are a strong pairing as the brother and sister who suffered abuse at the hands of their father through their lives. Young Jeremy T. Thomas as the 12-year-old Lucas is chillingly quiet and gives a core harsh realism to the role that serves the film well. But overall, the film feels like it could have been more. The analogous linking of the horror themes to the themes of traumatic abuse never feels like it's fully tapped into, and it's more of a side diversion. The film seems to suggest more ideas than it actually delivers on, and ends up, as a result, just falling into that category of well-made, but overall average category of horror. And finally... A Sky original, Paul Dude's Deadly Lunch Break. And the title had me out just on that. Okay, okay. That was the worst I have ever seen. Have a nice day. When you're clearly not. I'm Paul Dude, and uh, I am going to right all the wrongs. <laughs> You've reached the end of the line, scumbag. Are you all right? Yes, thank you. Why is poor dude killing these people? Fake news. Don't forget us when you're famous. Charity shop worker Paul Dude aspires to win a big national talent show. However, when five selfish people cause him to miss his audition, he sets out to seek deadly revenge in this comedy horror that feels oh so cheap. This is one of those films that feels like it was much more fun to make than it was to watch the end result, as the cast do seem to be enjoying themselves. Drawn from a range of British talent, we see Tom Meaton as Paul, alongside Chris Marshall, Johnny Vegas, Craig Parkinson, June Watson, Steve Oram, Kevin Bishop and more, all playing caricatures and all seemingly have forgotten how to act. This is a film of two halves. The first half is the exploration of Paul's attempt to get to the audition with comical encounters with a variety of bizarre characters. The second half is his bloody revenge on those characters in darkly funny horror moments. The key thing to note is how sarcastically I said the words comical and darkly funny horror because this film was not comical nor darkly funny nor horrific at all. I really struggled to care one jot from the early parts of the film. I've seen this referred to by many as feeling very British in nature, but I can only assume those saying that mean like the Nan movie or the Keith Lemon movie levels of British comedy, because it's awful. The forced attempts at humour were hindered by terribly represented characters, drawn out moments, grating delivery of lines, and some rather peculiar directorial choices that make it feel more like a bunch of students knocked out a witty home movie in a weekend. By the latter half of horror, I was so removed from the film that I sat in unflinching silence as the low-budget effects failed to have any impact on me. The three words, A, Sky, original, linked to this, are all the warning that you need here, as this is very much one of the examples that show why Sky are, let's be honest, a bit of a joke. But still, I continue my insistence on seeing every Sky original in the hope of the occasional stumble onto something worthy. 
Sadly, despite the names involved, this isn't one of those films. Um, I'll give that one a miss, but I follow your recommendation to the letter if it says the words Sky Original on it. Andy, <laughs> what else is out over the next week? It's another quiet week, I'm afraid. Um, at cinemas, there's only Downton Abbey, The New Era, which is landing this week. Nah, not on me. my radar at all. Nope. On Now TV and Sky, Venom, Let There Be Garbage. I mean, Let There Be Carnage <laughs> will drop, which we've already covered on the show, so we won't be talking about that next week. So Netflix with Silverton Siege, is the only thing that's really stoked my fires. It's an action thriller inspired by the true events in South Africa in 1980, where a trio of freedom fighters end up in a bank hostage situation. And these were the events that ignited the spark that rose to the Free Mandela movement. So this is on my radar to watch next week. So I think next week's show will be us. Hopefully you'll be able to share your thoughts on the films that you've missed out on that I've already spoken of. Yep. As I said to you before we started recording, uh, I have time next Saturday. I've just crazy, been so crazy busy. I, I, I don't know which way is up this week. So uh, next Saturday, I just plan to plonk myself into a cinema seat uh, and intravenously eat and drink and, and catch up with some of the movies that I've sadly missed out on. And I'll pick from a selection of other films that have dropped that I might have missed over the past few weeks on streaming, such as Moonshot. <laughs> he does the Lord's work, folks. He does the Lord's work. <laughs> I'm guessing that must be about it for this week. But before we go, we do this every week. Um, it's our neat thing. So Andy and I will tell you about something that we've enjoyed, whether it's a movie, a game, a book, a TV show, a restaurant, something that we've enjoyed that we want to talk about as our neat thing. And traditionally, Andy goes first. So Andy, go first. I've finished listening to The Hobbit by Andy Serkis now, uh, which I spoke about last week. You did. And I said, uh, the child has, uh, has got into Ooh. it. And I think he finished it. He think um, he just has it on constant repeat. I don't think after the second time or third time that he's heard the entire thing again, that he, it's there. I think it's like background music to him. Very <laughs> annoying. I hear bits of Andy Serkis daily he's such a good storyteller he's got a good reading voice andy circus but before i've moved on moving on to the lord of the rings audiobooks i've took a little diversion because will wheaton's still just a geek landed this past week oh yeah i noticed that the the idea behind it was that he he'd written another book which is kind of like drawing on his own life experiences but couldn't get any interest in it well then one publisher said that they really loved his 2004 book, Just a Geek, which was his blog posts and reflections on his life as a young actor and the challenges that he got like around like his Star Trek era, Stand By Me era, etc. And they suggested, why not go back to Just a Geek and reanalyze it and add things in to build around all the themes and ideas in there and reflect on all the chapters on, of his life that that book told and also update what's happened since. But it became something very different because... As he says in his opening like introduction, he when he approached his 2004 book, he didn't recognise that person that he was then. Okay. That over the past two decades, that writing that drew from his blog posts, it was a version of himself that he's actually quite ashamed of because there's very it's very full of anger and hate and bitterness, sometimes right. homophobic, sometimes misogynistic, and definitely filled with white privilege and sulky nature of like, why am I not so successful when I'm I'm so great? And it's safe to say that Will Wheaton has grown past that over the past two decades. And having him not only tackle the issues that affect his career, but also his own persona and highlighting how it's so easy to understand why he was like that, whilst not excusing being like that, it's marvellous. And it's very eye-opening because it makes you think 
what was I like two decades ago? Oh my goodness, I'd, I'd hate myself. Yeah, and it's it's a great way to approach him going back to his old book, retelling it and telling it how he analyzes that now and seeing how, yeah, we do change. People grow, people learn, people make mistakes and they grow and learn. It's where they are years later that is important. You are allowed to make mistakes. And Will Wheaton is acknowledging his mistakes. He's acknowledging his bad sides that might have put people off him as a personality and might be responsible for why he couldn't get work. And now he recognizes it. And now he's no longer trying to find work left, right and center. He does things that he's enjoying. But this is a great book told by Wheaton himself and with an introduction by Neil Gaiman for random reasons. <laughs> a great audible listen. Uh, the, the first Just a Big Geek book was a great listen with Wheaton reading it and also adding in some extra notes that weren't in the book. And this is exactly the same. It's it's Will Wheaton telling his life, but also analysing himself as a person at the same time. Marvellous read. I'm going to go down a very similar path to, to you, to be honest, Andy. I'm going to talk about my neat thing, and I've watched them back to back. I, I was working from home yesterday. I like to have background noise on. So I chucked on a YouTube series that I've watched a couple of called Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Michael Rosenbaum, you may remember from Geekdom, as he played the young Lex Luthor in Smallville. Uh, also voiced The Flash in the Justice League cartoon. I, I don't know what he's gone on to in later life, but this is a very interesting YouTube series. He gets to interview other actors or other people in his profession. And as an actor, talking to other actors, and, and predominantly the ones I've seen, maybe there there may be more are usually genre actors so you get some of the members of Buffy for instance I went down the rabbit hole yesterday with some of the cast of Supernatural uh, talking about their experiences and I think it's it's mm. when you get other professionals talking to other professionals you get an insight that a normal interviewer doesn't offer you get to talk about the craft you get to talk about some of the difficulties because it's recognisable and it's a very relaxed to and fro from both people. I don't know if I like Rosenbaum by the end of it, but that's not the point. I think it's the insight that you get into TV production. And so far, as I said, I've not watched all of them. I've got an insight into some of the shows that I've enjoyed or, or, or definitely seen. One episode stood out to me. I mentioned this as my neat thing, which was the Reacher series that landed on Amazon earlier this year. And I did have a tendency, and I'm not a massive binger, but I, I kind of seriously binged this series. The actor who plays Jack Reacher is Alan Richson, who mm. uh, you might remember from Titans if you've not watched Reacher. He played uh, Hawk in, as part of Hawk and Dove. Big guy, good-looking guy, apparently successful. But he was he went places on this show which I thought were was, was very brave and very open. And he talked about having had success at some point in his career, and then that dropped away and he was left with nothing and had to contemplate his life and, and went through massive, massive depression. So much so that in he talks very openly that he, he considered taking his own life at one point, which is shocking because you never know what's around the corner. As he proved that, he's been a worldwide huge success with, with Reacher. Mm. But there were dark days in his life. And, and, and it just... I found something incredibly relatable in it. I've had, my career has had highs and lows, uh, and, and which you mentioned, which I absolutely identify. I've, I've sold movie scripts and you put your heart and soul into thinking that that's going to get made and then it doesn't. The thing happens again. You, you sell your next script, you make movies. And, you know, as I've said on the show, I'm waiting for a, 
cinema release for a documentary that I made. And it's always it's always a roller coaster wanting to work in, in the entertainment industry. And, and the bit about wanting to take your own life, not that I'm at a stage where I want to take my own life, but I've been going through and, and battling a lot of self-doubt recently, a lot of self-doubt and a, a, a lot of heartache uh, in my life. And it was it was absolutely encouraging to hear somebody who came through going through dark days and came through and has, has become very successful about it. But to talk about it with that, with that brutal honesty, it touched a nerve. And, and while I only listened to it yesterday, I don't think at any point it's been out of my thoughts and so much so that I, I watched it again earlier today before we started recording. And uh, I wouldn't say that it brought a tear, but it made me very uh, emotional. Um, the, the series as a whole is, is well worth a listen for film geeks and TV geeks. As, as I said, talks about people from uh, Supernatural, Buffy, Galactica, you name it. It's very recognisable uh, for us genre fans. But this one particular episode with Alan Richardson absolutely stood out. So my neat thing is, I guess it's twofold. It's the honesty that Alan Richardson talked about his life, which, as I said, touched me very, very deeply and, and um, made me do a bit of soul searching over the last evening. Um, even though uh, I've not reached any conclusions out of that, it opened a door. But the series, as, as from a geek point of view, is well worth indulging in. And that's Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum, and you can find that on YouTube. I don't know if there is a podcast equivalent, but I would certainly, certainly check it out. And I guess that's it, folks, for this week. We are done with the film file. I've been thinking, actually, Andy, that perhaps uh, we've talked about this, some some merge, that, that we could even look at doing some film file T-shirts. Ooh, yeah. So uh, anybody's t-shirts, yeah. caps, cups. So if anybody's interested, if you think we should be doing some merch, let us know here at the Film File. You get in touch with us via Facebook or Twitter. But um, yeah, I've, I've been playing with the idea of, of some Film File merch to help develop the brand. And as I said this last week, please encourage your friends, if they are film geeks, to get involved in the show because you know how much fun that you have when you listen to it. And it is fun, isn't it, Andy? We enjoy it this. Is fun. It's the highlight it's, of our week. It's it's so much fun. It's even more fun when you flub like you just did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I know you're someone of the edits well last week, and there was a massive flub, and you left it in. I was going, oh, <laughs> this guy, this guy. <laughs> well, you've done quite well this week. You managed yeah. to get through um, the old show, and then it's right at the end that it all falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one point where it all falls apart. Uh, any plans for the next week, Andy? Uh, I, no, no, nothing major. Obviously, we're just waiting for uh, the build-up to a certain Doctor Strange coming out. Yes, indeed we are. And the weather's still nice as well, so I might actually start, you know, leaving the house. I I don't know. I I might step outdoors and go for a walk on some of these nice, beautiful days. Why not? We'll see you again next week, but before we go, I love pressure. Eat it for breakfast. (laughs) 